Hey everybody, thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're up to, which includes a whole lot of testing bikes, as we're about to get into here, over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so I sat down with Dylan Wood to chat about a whole bunch of the bikes we've been testing recently, across the whole travel spectrum, from some shorter travel trail bikes through a bunch of big enduro sleds. And we give some updates on some bikes we've been spending time on that we chatted about last time, including the new Santa Cruz High Tower and the Rocky Mountain Element, and then get into it about a bunch of new stuff that we haven't chatted about on here yet, including the Pivot Firebird, the Cavins VHP-16, the Niner Jet 9 RDO, and a few other odds and ends. And I also just want to say that if you're enjoying listening to us yak about bikes and dissect the differences between these different models and who they're going to work best for, then it's really worth signing up for a Blister membership so that you can send us an email and get my personal recommendations and thoughts next time you're shopping for a bike. And I've been having a bunch of really good conversations with a bunch of Blister members of late about what their next bike ought to be. And as part of that, it really seems like some of the supply chain headaches that we've seen are starting to abate because folks are actually able to buy bikes and We've been doing a pretty good job, in my estimation, of setting folks up with the right bike for them. So check out our Blister membership. There's a link in the show notes. And shoot me an email and chat about what you're looking for in terms of your next bike or your next upgrade. So with that, let's get right to my chat with Dylan. Well, Dylan, great to sit down and talk about bikes with you as always. How are you doing today? Doing well. Yeah, it's a real beautiful day here in Gunnison. It's been raining a lot lately, both in Gunny and in CB and everywhere between. Uh, dirt's really good, no wind, sunny day. It's like the bike equivalent of a Bluebird Pow Day here. Awesome. Well, hope you get out and take advantage of that a little later here. But as per usual, we've been super busy testing a ton of different bikes between the two of us of late. So kind of wanted to sit down and just do a bit of a roundup on the things we've been spending time on, give folks some updates on what we're testing, what's coming up in the pipeline review-wise. So I guess we'll kind of do this in ascending order of travel, more or less. So we'll kind of start at some of the shorter travel, more cross-country oriented stuff and work our way up into some big bikes. So why don't you kick it off with the Niner you've been riding? Yeah, I started the season on Niner's Jet 9 RDO which is their short travel trail bike. It's got 29 inch wheels, 120 millimeters of travel in the back and 130 up front. And yeah, spent the majority of my season so far on that bike, uh, especially earlier season when CB was snowed in and we were riding the more XC type trails out at Hartman's. Um, I also took it to Moab and rode like Captain Ahab, Slick Rock and even the whole enchilada on it. So yeah, definitely put that bike through its paces and, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's, it definitely is, isn't the most efficient short travel trail bike I've been on and it's not the most like plush and, you know, tricks you into think you're on a trail bike kind of short travel trail bike either. It occupies a, I think a really nice middle ground in that short travel trail category. It kind of embodies the category itself in some ways um it's got a really nice mix of traction and efficiency on the way up and and on the way down as well i think that they really did a really nice job with the suspension on that bike 
uh, can really put the power down in the seat on the way up and sprinting on the way down, but not at the cost of too much traction. It's a really good technical climber as well. Don't feel like you're spinning out all the time. And we did test that bike or I did test that bike with uh, 2.6 inch wide Schwalbe's as well, which definitely helped uh, in the traction department. Um, yeah, quick bike, pretty lightweight. I think it was coming in at just under 30 pounds. Um, easy to flick around, pretty playful. Um, I know Niner recommends that large that we tested for riders 5'11 and up, but both myself, who's 5'10 and Luke, who's 5'8 got on it and we both had no problems with the sizing. Um, it's got a low and a high geometry setting and the reach is just around 470 give or take about four millimeters for both um yeah overall i think that's a, a really good short travel trail option for for people who maybe don't really know what they want in the short travel trail category you know like if you if you want something sportier um more efficient the pivot trail 429 comes to mind if you want something a little bit more plush that maybe makes you feel like you know, you have more traction, a little bit more travel, that Banshee Phantom comes to mind. Um, but yeah, kind of right in the middle, the, the Jet 9 is just kind of a, a short travel trail bike through and through. So yeah, it's, it worked out real well. And uh, yeah, we've got that full review ready to go on the site in a couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. From talking to you and Luke about your time on the Jet 9, it sounds like it's just kind of a nice well-rounded middle of the spectrum short travel trail bike that isn't necessarily super heavily biased towards kind of one end of the spectrum or one set of traits or the other. And, uh, it seems like a really cool versatile option for a bunch of folks. And so then kind of to, to talk a little bit more about a pretty different sounding take on a short travel trail bike. I've been spending a bunch of time on the Rocky mountain element and I chatted with this about about this one with Jonathan last time we did a review reports episode a few weeks ago. Uh, at that point, I had only just started spending time on it and only had a few rides on it. And so basically, it's a 120 rear travel, 130 front bike. And Rocky Mountain actually calls it an XC bike. And the prior generation element very much was. But then this one's grown in travel and has gotten way slacker that it's got some adjustability, but at the neutral position in the middle of the geometry range, it's got a 65 and a half degree head tube angle, which you can slacken out to 65 if you are so inclined. And so it's in a really interesting kind of middle ground where in some ways it still feels very much derived from an XC bike in that it's very light. It's super efficient and snappy, very much so over feeling kind of more plush and cushy and feeling like it's derived a bit more from a longer travel trail bike. And so one of the things I was curious about was what, if you kind of mess around with the build on it a little bit, the stock build, I've been testing the C70 version, which is basically a Shimano XT build with a Fox 34 with the uh, fit Four kind of the more cross country oriented damper with a climb switch and whatnot. And then a, uh, Fox float DPS rear shock and so on. And then it's also comes with uh, Maxxis recon tires. So a pretty kind of semi-slick, fast rolling XC oriented tire and so on. 
But then it's got this geometry that, like, if you just looked at the geometry chart without knowing anything about the bike, you know, it could totally plausibly be a 140, 150 travel kind of bike, too. And so it feels like it's in an interesting middle ground between those two things. And so I was sort of curious to see what would happen if I beefed the build up a little bit and um, been experimenting with a few things there, um, starting with just a little bit burlier tires. I've experimented with um, kind of a mix of. Uh, a Maxxis dissector on the front for a bit and then did a with the same stock recon in the rear and then I moved the dissector to the back and put a DHF on the front to take it a step further in terms of beating stuff up and then have done some other odds and ends like putting a bigger front rotor on it just to get a little more braking than the stock 180 and um, have also been testing some different suspension parts on it mostly the uh, new Olin's RXF 34 fork and um, I guess my take is basically that all of those things still make it feel like a cross-country or derived bike first, but one that's got way more aggressive geometry than most things that would otherwise kind of fall into that category, which I guess on some level sounds a little contradictory, but I think actually works super well in at least the right circumstances like if you want a bike that can really just put power down exceptionally well encourages you to just sprint up everything and get on the pedals wherever you can but then also has the geometry to go a bit harder on the descent than most things that are that light and snappy it works super super well at that and the stuff i did to beef it up definitely kind of improved the downhill capability a bit in terms of adding more grip and more braking and stuff, but didn't fundamentally change that about the bike. So I don't know. That's sort of my thought on it so far. And it's kind of an interesting thing to slide in there, but it's been cool. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how, how much those short travel trail bikes, like around 120, 130 mils of travel can really vary these days. Um, I think there was a point in time where you could look at a bike, be like, all right, it's got 29 inch wheels. It's got 125 millimeters of suspension. You know, you can make some pretty, pretty confident guesses about how that bike would be. But today it just seems like we have such a variety of these short travel trail bikes in terms of their characteristics, um, whether they're closer to like XC or trail, um, you know, being between these two worlds, you can just mess with the build kits and, and make, you know, pretty different feeling bike as well. Yeah. The, the element is one of the, I think in terms of like the biggest makeovers of bikes lately, that's, that's gotta be one of them for sure. Yeah. It departure from the prior gen one, which was a hundred millimeters travel, both ends in a like almost 70 degree head tube angle. It was really a true XC race bike. And the new one is something pretty different, but you're absolutely right that there's just a huge spectrum in that class of bikes. Like for example, the gorilla gravity trail pistol that I reviewed earlier this year, a prime example of that. You look at it on paper next to the element. They've got the same travel, 120 rear, 130 front geometry is really close. And in fact, if you put the element at the slack end of its settings, it's actually a little slacker head tube than the trail pistol by a few tenths of a degree and similar reach, similar chain state length, etc. They feel completely different. And the trail pistol, despite seeming largely similar on paper, is a much more descent oriented, more aggressive feeling bike. 
and the element is definitely doing kind of much more of a XC bike derived thing that has been made more aggressive in a way that is pretty cool for the right folks, I think. But despite the sort of seeming similarities on paper, they are wildly, wildly different. Totally. I know, I think a while ago on the ski side of things, we would do something after like a outdoor retailer show, like most exciting five millimeters in skiing, right? In terms of waist widths. I think it would be interesting to to have a conversation about like what's the most interesting like 10 millimeters in terms of rear travel on trail bikes. And I think mine might be like 120 to 130, but we can maybe have that conversation another time. Yeah, that's a good thought. We can circle back to that one, but uh, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. But I like the thought and uh, stay tuned for more on that maybe. Well, to move upward a little bit in the travel range. I've been spending a lot of time on the new third generation Santa Cruz high tower. And we've got a first look and a flash review up on the site. You can go read those, but, uh, it's kind of a very different story from the element in that it's a, an update to the bike, but it is a much more subtle set of tweaks from the prior gen than the stuff that, you know, they did with the element, like we were just talking about. Still a 29er, still 145 rear travel with a 150 fork. Uh, the geometry has been tweaked a little bit, but only quite subtly. It's gotten, I think it's about seven tenths of a degree slacker in the head tube angle. Seat tubes very fractionally steeper, but not by a whole lot. Reach only grew by a couple of millimeters, etc. So it's kind of moderate updates they've done some little tweaking with the suspension kinematics um they've they've added a storage compartment into the down tube and so on but it doesn't feel like a major departure from the old one it's kind of a bunch of nice refinements and i think the handling feels a little bit more balanced particularly when you're going really fast the old bike i thought felt just very fractionally steep in the head tube and just a little bit quick steering kind of relative to everything else that was going on with the rest of the bike once you were going really fast on it and they've calmed that down a tiny bit but it's definitely more little tweaks and refinements than any dramatic wholesale changes in that bike and i think the stuff they did is for the better i'm getting along with the bike great but i also liked the last gen one and it feels very similar there's a strong family resemblance there for sure totally yeah that new high tower looks like more evolution than revolution and yeah it's kind of a pretty contrast to the element in that sense um i was curious what they were going to do with that with that new high tower um given the mega tower which we'll get into that was pretty different than the first one i think more more so than the new high tower and it, it was interesting that the first gen mega tower and the second gen high tower, which just got replaced had actually really similar geometry. Um, was wondering if they were going to do that with the, with the high tower, but I think it's probably, probably a good thing. They didn't, um, and kept the high tower a little bit more conservative and, you know, that trail bike that, um, you know, just supposed to occupy a really versatile middle ground. Um, but it's cool to see that, it's cool to see that get stuff like the glove box and the, you know, different chain stay sizes per, per size, which, you know, I feel like, I feel like Santa Cruz is probably going to do with all their bikes, but who knows? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've been doing that on everything that they've updated for the last 
year and a bit. So it's kind of the direction that they're going. But yeah, I mean, I think I think that's exactly right. Like the high tower is supposed to be the super versatile middle of the spectrum bike for a whole lot of people. And the mega tower is the big enduro race bike. And so having some separation between the two and making it kind of more clear who should be buying which bike makes sense. And well, we'll get into the mega tower more in a minute, but the high tower kind of the prior generation one felt much more in line with where that class of bike is at still. Whereas the first gen mega tower was looking sort of steep and conservative compared to where 160 plus enduro bikes are at these days. And so we should get into the mega tower. Then I spent a bunch of time on that earlier this year. You've now been riding it a lot. And like we said, it has gotten way more aggressive and long and slack and all the rest than the first generation one was so also bumped up a little bit in travel it's got 165 rear with a 170 fork now so on and so forth um i talked about my thoughts on that bike quite a bit on our last reviewer reports episode but now that you've been spending time on it the floor is yours what do you got yeah i think it's important to preface this with i spent have spent a lot of time on the v1 mega tower i actually still have it it's my personal bike uh one of the first bikes i reviewed for blister Eric Friesen also got on that one. Um, so I was really excited to get on the version two of the mega tower and compare those two bikes. Um, I, I really liked the version one mega tower. Uh, there were some things I didn't love about it. Um, and I think that Santa Cruz has made a better bike with the version two mega tower without really sacrificing much at all. Um, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, if anything, what they've sacrificed is a little bit of like playfulness and, and nimbleness out of the V1 Mega Tower, which, as you mentioned earlier, it was kind of like uncategorically playful and nimble for an enduro bike. So I think the the V2 Mega Tower makes more sense um, to to differentiate in that ways. But comparing it to the previous generation aside, the new Mega Tower is yeah, it's first and foremost it's a you know, enduro race bike, it's really stable, um, really slack and long. And it's not a one trick pony though. Like the Norco range comes to mind as a bike. That's like, yeah, that's a bike that's meant to go downhill. And if you want to go uphill, like good luck. Um, the second mega tower is not that bad of a climber. I'd say, I think it's actually pretty good. Um, in terms of traction, it's, it's really good. Um, not the most efficient I'd say in terms of enduro bikes or just, you know, bikes altogether, obviously not that efficient. Steep seat tube angle definitely helps hide, um, how long that front end is, especially with how slack it is. Uh, it's 63, five, correct. In the, in the low setting, I think head tube angle, uh, right around there, maybe a couple tenths steeper than that, but yeah, in that vicinity. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think that steeper C tube angle definitely helps hide the slacker front end in terms of how how it climbs that front. As long as you're you know got some weight on it, that front end isn't trying to wander all the time when you're going up something really steep. And on the way down, um, it's it's pretty like plush and planted, especially in like the first part of the travel. Uh, I think it definitely wants to stay pretty glued to the trail. Um, and it's got really good bottom out resistance, I think as well. Like 
like really good. One of my first rides I rode on it was Dr. Park in Crested Butte, which is like a classic, um, really just fast, long downhill, um, with a lot of rocks, a lot of sharp rocks. And like my first ride on it, put the O-rings down, got to the bottom of Dr. Park and I used like 80% of the travel. And I was like, Oh, I think this bike wants me to ride it a little bit harder than I just did. Um, and then I took it to, I've been taking it to the bike park this past week. Um, you know, having more of an opportunity to do like back to back laps, messing with the suspension a little bit. And I think I've figured out how to, how to optimize it pretty well at this point. And it's feeling really good. Um, also put some cush core in it, which I thought was kind of necessary for a bike like that, at least for me and where I ride. As I mentioned, we have a lot of sharp rocks out here. And for some reason, the sound of like dinging your rim on a rock, just like, just, it really, it really hurts me. Um, even if it's not my bike, but yeah, I think in, in general, the V2 Mega Tower, it's a really capable enduro bike without going like this might as well be a downhill bike because it sucks so bad at climbing, right? It's definitely not in that category. Uh, still a little versatile to the point where I think you don't have to be an enduro racer to, to be interested in it, or you could probably be happy with it as a one bike quiver so long as you're not riding flat trails all the time. Um, and I don't think a lot of people are going to be too upset over the update versus the original mega tower so that's that's my take so far yeah that's pretty consistent with my thoughts too it's definitely become more bike and more planted more stable than the old one but hasn't gone nearly as far with that as like you said the norco range being kind of a prime example of a bike that feels like pretty close to a dh bike that they made sort of kind of able to pedal a bit but not that well so i mean i think that makes sense i really enjoyed my time on it too uh i would be curious i've ridden the v1 mega tower a bit but obviously way less than you have as someone who has owned one for a while now and i guess i'm curious for your thoughts a little bit more on kind of how much sort of versatility and uh kind of nimbleness and tighter spots and that sort of stuff that the new one's given up by getting so much longer and slacker than the old one because I always kind of felt like the prior gen bike felt quite a bit like sort of an overgrown trail bike in some ways where it was like had some it was a little more efficient, a little firmer suspension, kind of steeper angles and a little quicker handling than a lot of similar 160 plus enduro bikes. Uh, And yeah, just interested for your thoughts on that particular facet of it. Yeah, I think you're right in the fact that that first gen mega tower felt like yeah, an overgrown trail bike with pretty game on suspension. So it was, it was kind of firm off the, off the top. Um, and then less bottom out resistance than the V2 mega tower. Um, so it, it definitely felt like more supportive, I'd say in like G outs and corners, at least in that, in that first part. And yeah, it's, it's definitely shorter, steeper, a little bit quicker handling. Um, like if you, I think if you ride a lot of trails that have like tight switchbacks, I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed with the newer mega tower is like when it's cornering, it wants to be like cornering pretty fast or pretty steep or pretty laid over. Whereas that first, first gen mega tower, you could kind of get away with just like steering it from the handlebars more so in like tighter switchbacks, if that makes sense. 
and the original mega tower was like easier to get into the air it was like more playful on like blue flow trails at like a bike park or if you have a real nice developed you know blue flow trail around um like easier to jump a little bit poppier you know you can i think you could push into corners a little bit harder at least without getting too deep into the suspension um and yeah i the only thing i wouldn't say is less versatile about the new mega tower is it's climbing like i don't think the new mega tower is much worse at climbing than the original the original was maybe a bit more efficient and like i would be happier to pedal up like xc trails on the first mega tower but i don't think that really matters for a bike like this like you sh- i don't think you should really be f- factoring that in unless you know this is like a one bike quiver for you but then you're going to be like sacrificing more on the top end you know so yeah i, I think that sums it up well yeah, I think that's about right. I would say that the new one feels like it gave up a little bit of pedaling efficiency compared to the old one, but not a whole lot. The differences in handling and kind of how fast it needs to be going to feel like it's coming into its own and working in terms of the cornering performance and stuff feel more significant to me. You also alluded to this. Uh, I would also have said that the new one feels a good bit more plush and planted in terms of its suspension performance compared to the prior gen. Do you agree on that? Totally. Yeah. I think, I think it has more traction, um, in like the first half of the suspension. Um, yeah, it feels, feels more glued to the trail, like off camber roots, whatnot. I think it just does a lot better of a job of like staying online than, than the original mega tower with, little bit of a cost of efficiency there yeah totally agreed yeah in some like the new mega tower just feels more like a dedicated enduro bike in those kind of small sacrifices that it makes but like the benefits of it i think for anyone who just wants to go really fast downhill i think we'll appreciate that yep 100 percent agreed yeah and i know that jonathan hates when i say i think blah 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 and then like put a number out there but i double checked it the mega tower has a 63.5 head tube angle in the low position, 63.8 and high. Just want to put that out in the world, make sure that I'm telling the truth out here. There you go. Yeah. So to kind of keep it rolling on the enduro bike front, I have just started spending some time on the Cavins VHP 16, which is a pretty interesting one. We've got a first look and a flash review up on the site. I'll link to those in the show notes. So you can check that out in short. It's a aluminum high pivot enduro bike with 160 millimeters of rear travel built around a 160 to 180 travel fork. They say I've got a 170 fork on the one that I'm testing right now and it's made out of aluminum made in Germany. Uh, we've also got an episode with Kevin's founder kind of going through the design ethos and thinking behind the bike that we'll also link to. And the sort of short version is that it almost started off as this design study in terms of suspension kinematics, where he was thinking through what he wanted out of a high pivot enduro bike in terms of the suspension performance. And one of the key things there was that you have a high single pivot bike, even if it's got a linkage to actuate the shock, you pretty much inherently end up with a ton of anti-rise. So when you get on the rear brake, 
the suspension settles deeper and that can at least arguably help kind of keep the bike flat and level when you're braking rather than pitching you forward. But it also means that the suspension firms up. You kind of tend to lose traction, have less remaining suspension travel available to absorb anything that you're running into at that time. And he wanted something that was kind of more neutral in its braking performance, but still had a high pivot layout to get the benefits in terms of bump absorption and stuff that you get with that. And the results are pretty interesting. So the suspension performance is indeed really, really good. It's also got an EXT story, a coil shock on it, which doesn't hurt any. I've been a big fan of that shock on a few different bikes now, and it continues to impress here. But the suspension just feels super well sorted out. It's really good traction and grip kind of in the early part of the travel still feels supportive when you get deeper into it. Bump absorption is great. It does a pretty nice job of just kind of ironing trails out and smoothing things over without feeling wallowy and unsupportive. It's pretty neutral under braking. It doesn't do anything too weird. Um, but a big part of the through line of that bike is that it feels kind of a good bit more nimble and playful and easy to throw around than you might kind of typically get out of a big high pivot enduro bike very often again to use the norco range as an example those bikes tend to be biased towards just being really full-on bikes that are trying to go flat out fast everywhere and just bulldoze everything and the vhp 16's a good bit more compact and nimble and easy to throw around than a lot of the other high pivot stuff i've been on and part of that is just that the, it is a little more compact in terms of geometry and a little shorter. And um, it's got in the 29er configuration that I've been testing, it's got 425 millimeter static chainstays, which are super short by modern standards, but you do have to sort of account for the fact that they get a good bit longer at sag due to the high pivot layout. I think Kevin's says 11 millimeters longer for the 29er version. You can also set it up as a mullet with a different lower shock mount to correct for the geometry, which basically gives you Otherwise, the same geometry, but even shorter 419 millimeter static chainstays. Then that's all paired with a 64 degree head tube angle, very steep C2 angle. I think 77 and a half degrees effective and pretty close to that actual too. There's not much of a kink or offset to it. One of the other things that they do that's pretty neat is that they don't quite do standard sizes. They have sort of a semi-custom program where all the kind of main numbers the c2 bangle head tube bangle chain stay length etc are fixed you don't get to mess with those but you can get any reach that you want in 20 millimeter increments from 440 to 540 if you want a truly gigantic bike and then you can pair that with one of two head tube lengths you can get a 110 or a 125 head tube and one of three c2 blanks 420 450 or 480 millimeters and you can kind of mix and match those three parameters in any way that you want. And so it just gives some extra options for kind of dialing in the fit of the bike, however you would like them to do it. There's no upcharge for any of the different combinations, though they do sort of keep some of the more quote unquote standard options in stock. You can custom order whatever you want out of that sort of set of parameters and, uh, so I've been testing one with a 480 reach, the longer 
125 head tube and a the middle of the road 450 c tube which i'm six feet tall i'm very happy with the fit the stack is pretty high given that big head tube length and then kind of the comparatively steep ish for an enduro bike 64 head tube angle um so i'm running a pretty low rise bar on it to get things situated but with that it's working great i'm super happy with the fit it just seems like a really cool option for something that has really especially impressive suspension performance in terms of being planted and smooth and kind of just cushy but still supportive still pedals very well the efficiency is really good and is more nimble and easier to throw around than most big enduro bikes that i've been on recently awesome yeah i i take care of the newsletters these days and we have that little sneak peek section at the bottom and on this last friday's newsletter we're sneak peeking the this bike that you're just talking about so i like went into the dock to figure out how i could like you know summarize that into like a sentence or two i'm like okay so it's playful but it's high pivot it's aluminum it's made in germany it's like semi-custom i was like man this bike sounds really interesting so yeah and it seems like yeah it is a pretty interesting option and yeah i've I've only been on one high pivot bike so far the norco range um but in talking to you and just kind of you know the buzz of the industry it seems like high high pivot bikes are are starting to get pretty dialed um and this seems like a, a pretty good example of that um as as high pivot sort of starts to make a comeback yeah i mean we're seeing more and more enduro bikes with it this has actually been kind of in work for a while and has been on the market for a little bit too but yeah it's an unusual combination of traits in some ways but one that i think actually works super well together and it feels very cohesive and all comes together kind of to do the set of stuff that it does if that makes sense uh and one other thing that I've been sort of surprised by on it is that despite the suspension feeling pretty plush off the top, really grippy, lots of traction everywhere, it's more poppy and easier to throw around and get airborne than I might have expected to. Like, to keep using the range as an example, that is a bike that is super glued to the ground, doesn't want to get off, it just wants to bulldoze stuff. And the cavins i've been trying to get my head around this i only have three or four rides on it at this point i think uh yeah four and it it's interesting like it doesn't feel super poppy in terms of if you're loading it up off of a lip or something it doesn't feel like it is obviously returning a bunch of energy and really launching you off of stuff but there are i've hit a bunch of jumps on lines that i know well and ride all the time on it and even though it doesn't exactly feel super energetic coming off of stuff just in terms of how much effort i'm having to put into a couple certain jumps that you really do need to pull for a little bit at trail speed it is actually getting the job done really well despite not feeling really energetic and poppy in terms of like the sensation that you get as you're coming off of the jump it's hard to explain a little bit but pretty interesting and again just sort of feels in keeping with everything else that's going on with the bike in terms of it being a comparatively playful easy to throw around thing especially for a high pivot bike which in large part the range being kind of the extreme example but 
broadly speaking, don't display those sorts of traits. So I'm, I'm getting along with it. It's cool. It's different, but fun. And I think a really neat option. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if those shorter chain stays have something to do with that. Have you, have you thought about that? Yeah, maybe. I think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised with that. Some of it, probably a bit of it too, like for a high pivot bike, it is, so unlike the range or the forbidden dreadnought, for example, it's not rearward travel through the whole travel range. It hits its most rearward point at about 100 millimeters in, and then the axle starts to come forward a little bit too. So maybe the fact that it's not quite as dramatically rearward as a bunch of other stuff maybe helps on that front as well. Like something that I've noticed on some other high pivot bikes, the range being a good example, some older iterations of the Canfield Jedi, especially also. It feels like because the rear wheel moves back so much as you load up the suspension, when it rebounds again, the wheel has to then come forward consequently. And it feels like it kind of almost hangs up a little bit and sort of pulls you back because the, the wheel's coming back forward relative to the bike and you have this funny effect on rebound that kind of eats into some poppiness and liveliness there. And I wouldn't be surprised if the fact that the cabins isn't as dramatically rearward as those stuff bikes is helping out there but i'll keep thinking about it as i spend more time on the bike we'll have a lot more on that in the full review to come a little bit later once i've got some more time on it so uh stay tuned for that and then i guess to move into one final enduro bike here uh, i have also started spending some time on the pivot firebird which again it's a 165 rear 170 front travel enduro bike same numbers there as the mega tower also a full 29er um and it's as per usual for pivot dw link it's now kind of got their newer layout with the vertically oriented shock that they've been migrating their whole lineup to one bike at a time for the last bit now and so far my take on that one pretty much is that it definitely feels like a big enduro bike first and foremost that is pretty focused on going fast and isn't super versatile in terms of being kind of a more nimble trail bikey kind of feeling thing but it is above average in terms of pedaling efficiency for a 165 travel bike if not the strictly most efficient thing i've been on in that class it's better than average and it does feel very slightly kind of on the more nimble side of average for that sort of bike, particularly given that it, it is also quite stable in a straight line, just plowing over stuff. And I think a significant part of that is that it's got a somewhat higher than average bottom bracket for that sort of bike. And the thing that I've really noticed on that is that it, if you're just straight lining something and pointing it, it's pretty long fairly stable in a straight line holds the line nicely but particularly when you're in stuff like a series of chicanes where you are going fast enough to be leaning the bike over and not just having to steer through handlebar angle and turning the bars it feels notably quick and easy to kind of stand up out of one corner and start the entry into the next one and that sort of stuff and so if you're it's not real nimble if you're going super slow and in something super tight and like say a super tight switchback where you're doing a lot of bar angle steering but 
once you're moving out enough that you're doing a lot of your steering by leaning the bike, it is a pretty interesting blend of being a stable, but then be kind of quicker and a little more nimble relative to how stable it is than a lot of stuff, which for an Enduro race bike, I think is a great combination of traits and especially kind of given how tight and weird a lot of sections of modern EWS courses have gotten having something that's not all out, just a big sled and is a little easier to work around in some of those spots makes a bunch of sense. So it's been cool. And I think generally speaking, the suspension performance feels good. It's definitely biased a bit more towards being a little firmer and a little more lively and a little bit less plush and cushy than say the mega tower, for example, or even more so the cabins. But, um, I think that's also pretty reasonable. It's sort of just a little more efficient, a little more lively and does give up a little bit of small bump sensitivity and kind of plush cushiness to get there. But I'm not mad about that trade off. Yeah. It seems like the firebird is kind of similar to the trail four two nine and the switchblade that we spent time on the last two years that it stands out because it's pretty efficient and has pretty sporty suspension. Would you say that that's true for the firebird as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, it's a, sounds like, sounds like a pivot, I guess this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. Still working on suspension setup a little bit. The build we've got's got a Fox DHX two coil rear shock on it. And I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between two spring rates, trying to figure out exactly where I want to land there and fiddling that a little bit there, but overall really happy with it. Do need to go do some work to make the finned Shimano XT brake pads shut up because that uh, rattle that they are prone to doing is driving me nuts on that bike, but easy fix, not really pivot's fault. That's just sort of par for the course with those brakes. And uh, it's been fun. It's a pretty solid kind of, yeah, game on enduro race bike first and foremost, but a more efficient, a little more lively one in a way that's pretty fun and I think pretty effective if you're trying to just get out there and really go fast. So it's working out pretty nicely. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of bikes on your hands. I do. <laughs> I'm I'm busy, to put it lightly. How many, I guess. How many uh, bikes are behind you right now? Between review bikes, my bikes... My partner's bikes, there are, I think, 11 in the house right now. Jeez. You're sitting on a gold mine. I hope you have a an alarm system in your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will not be divulging my address on the podcast here for, uh, for that reason, I guess. So, yeah, a lot of bikes on hand, staying super busy, doing a lot of good stuff going on. So, uh, well... Great talking to you as always. Appreciate the rundown on the stuff you've been testing and uh, we'll chat more soon. Yeah, thanks for the conversation, David. Hope to see you again soon. Maybe ride some bikes. That'd be great. We'll make it happen. Talk to you later, Dylan. Sweet, see ya. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you're enjoying these conversations, then we'd really appreciate it if you take a minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Dylan for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.